Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. And just as we've been doing for the last five weeks, we've been talking about financial planning. We've went through steps one through five over these last weeks. If you have not had a chance to listen to those episodes, please, please go back and listen to the first five episodes of this series and the steps of the financial planning process. We've had several different financial advisors on talking about their process or how they do their part of the process. And it's been really good. If you haven't had a chance to listen to those, please go back and listen to those. Today, we're going to be joined by my good friend, Sean Tidlaska, also a co-founder in BLX with me. Just an all-around good guy. Just my guy right here. So, Sean, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Emily. Yeah, excited to be here and share what we do at Ballast Point. Absolutely. Sean has his own firm, and we're going to talk a little bit about what he does. We're on step six of the seven steps of the financial planning process. And today, we're going to be talking about the implementation of the plan. With that, Sean, I mean, you can go with this any way you want. But how does this conversation, like, and we can take some stuff from the other steps too, if you want, but how does this conversation typically go when you get to this point with the client? Yes. With implementation, you kind of borrow the analogy from a doctor. You want to make sure that your clients are properly and thoroughly diagnosed. We want to understand what their goals, their values, what are they trying to achieve? And we actually do our implementation a little bit, maybe differently than it's kind of spelled out by the CFP. We do it a little bit modularly. Our onboarding sequence is a series of three initial meetings. And some of the stuff you can implement without like really digging in too deep with the client about their hopes and dreams. Like in our first meeting, we're reviewing someone's credit score and just making sure that that's really solid and fixing what we can. Looking at their insurance, like renter's insurance, and just making sure there's not any fires that need to be put out immediately kind of in that first meeting kind of understanding where they are. We review their balance sheet. In the second and third meetings, we're digging more into their spending plan and cash flow. The third meeting, we get into their dreams and possibilities. And once we kind of know where they are right now, how much money do we have to work with with their spending plan in that second meeting? And then where are they trying to accomplish kind of their goals in that third meeting? Then we can start to allocate the money and figure out investment recommendations but we're doing some planning along the way after each meeting and implementing after every single meeting that we're doing with our clients. Okay. Like you said, the modular stuff. And I like the modular planning because I think when we're doing a financial plan and it's a full plan, comprehensive, if, if you will, it's a lot of information. Being able to do it in the modular style where it's bite-sized chunks, I think it makes a lot of sense to do that. Can you talk to us about getting from analyzing to implementation, whatever solutions we're going to start implementing and how you like, okay, this person, whatever their goals were, and then from goals into actually trying to implement so we can actually accomplish those goals. What does that process look like? Now, you said you're doing it throughout, but talk to us about actual specific implementations or recommendations, if you will. Yeah, for sure. In that first meeting, we're looking at someone's balance sheet. And sometimes people have like their money just at like Bank of America or Wells Fargo, just like a checking account, and it's not earning any interest at all. So we'll introduce like ally savings or a Capital One or Marcus, something that gives you a little bit of interest. 
And we kind of come up with, we call it a banking structure. Just some kind of cool general rules of thumb that might be helpful is we look at someone's take-home pay for the month. Say it's like, I don't know, 2000 bucks a paycheck or something like that. We would recommend like two paychecks in your checking account. So like $4,000 at least in your checking account. Mm-hmm. And then three to six months in your savings. And that's where we would put it in the high yield savings. Kind of coming up with this banking structure and then following up with the client to say, does this make sense to you? Kind of getting the buy-in from them. We do a lot of stuff in Excel. And so we kind of type in our notes in Excel and kind of show them visually where we want the money to go. With that recommendation in particular, it's kind of like buckets of money. Once you have 4,000 in your checking, then you can put money into your savings. Once that one's filled up, then we can invest it. So it's kind of like thinking of the money in your checking account, kind of your emergency fund, like your new zero kind of mentally. So you'll have more than 4,000. That's just kind of one in particular. And like you mentioned, it is a lot to do a comprehensive financial plan from estate planning to insurance, to taxes, to investments. After each meeting, we write up our notes, give some action items to the client. And then we have some action items for ourselves. And each one of our meetings is three to four weeks after each other. That way it gives the client some time to do their homework and it gives us some time to do our homework and prepare. And we found that cadence to work really well because then kind of we're building momentum, making progress, and that rhythm seems to work well with us. I like that, the time that you give them. How did you find that sweet spot? This is just the time that you give them from the homework or implementing of the plan and then letting them do their side. How did you come up with that number, like the four weeks? It's just been like kind of trial and error. And then also some of these concepts or conversations are pretty deep. It takes a little while for it to marinate and process and digest. We might plant the seed in meeting number one about adjusting the timing for a certain goal and then kind of revisiting it in a future meeting. So it's been kind of trial and error. I think that's a good amount of time to give your clients a chance to get their stuff done. Also, it kind of gives us as the planners, we only have a certain amount of time to kind of onboard clients and bring on clients. So it kind of works well for both parties. Absolutely. I like the timing because I know sometimes when I'm doing it and I give the client two weeks, sometimes that's not enough time for them to do everything that they need to do on their side. But four weeks, I'm just asking this for just personal stuff. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I give them a little more time if I make the meetings every three weeks. And this is just a total sidebar comment, but just something I was thinking about. When you're making the implementation, have you ever had someone not agree with the recommendation or the implementation of what you're trying to do? If so, how did you deal with that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's part of the reason I was mentioning like taking some time to clarify what the recommendation is with the client and to say like, does that make sense to you what we're doing here? We're really, I want to say like positive influences. I want to say hopefully we're positive influences with our clients. Sometimes people use the analogy where I kind of like the dentist where you got to get going for your checkup and things like that. I hopefully it's not as painful as the dentist with a recommendation. And maybe we have a preference for what we want the client to do, but ultimately it's their plan. It's their life. We might have some, I think everyone has their inherent biases of what they would like to see done. Some specific examples that I come across with with my clients all the time is like around Bitcoin or rental real estate. And I want to just have passive income or I don't want to miss out. Like Bitcoin just keeps going up. Our approach is to help our clients make an informed decision, let them know what the pros and cons are and kind of lay out their opportunities in front of them. Because you don't want to be in that position where you told someone not to buy that rental property and then it blows up and then it's like, oh, told you so. That's not really a good situation to be in for anybody. I want to make sure they're also not going to do anything that's going to really harm their overall financial picture. 
like with Bitcoin in particular, we might say, we don't want you to invest more than one to 3% of your investable assets or something like that is kind of our rule of thumb. If they want to go over it and say like, we kind of would recommend that you don't invest like more than 10%, but just to kind of document to kind of cover our own bases. And also we don't want them to, you know, what if it does go down? That one's a hard one because you want to do what's best for your client, but sometimes they might be stuck on one idea. I think just kind of helping our clients make informed decisions, knowing the risk. I think that's all we can do. Absolutely. I like that though, because you didn't make it like I told you so, right? You said that in the beginning and you said that's not something that we want to do. And we're always going to be able to have those conversations about what clients should do, what we think they should do. And I think it's important for people to hear that, that you don't always have to agree with everything that someone says as it pertains to your financial plan. But I think that when you have that healthy dialogue, even if you disagree, not necessarily, you know, let's say like it's an order of coals or whatever. They want to just put all their money in Bitcoin and you're saying, hey, maybe that's not the best thing to do. Whatever it is, I think the approach is critical. And I think that it's okay to have that little bit of tension from a disagreement in that not necessarily tension in a bad way, but just like, this is something I really wanted to do. Well, you came to me to help you with this. This is what my recommendation is. You can do what you want, but I think this would be the best course of action for you. And I think those kind of things really, really help. But I'll let you speak to that. What were the results of that when you have that kind of conversation? You know, fortunately, things have worked out if like we didn't necessarily agree on something and it's worked out. Like another one is when someone wants to buy a specific stock and it's hard to get them to sell that specific stock. And they're like, I don't want to sell until it's 150. Mm -hmm. And then I think kind of our job is to help zoom out a little bit and be like, well, why 150? Just because it got up to 150 a month ago? Or I like Warren Buffett said of like, I wouldn't buy one share in a company unless I'd buy the whole thing. Would you buy the whole company at 150? Do you think that's a fair price? I think kind of offering some perspective and maybe just helping them kind of look out for their blind spots or just kind of not get trapped in these behavioral biases is a good role that we can play. I think those are all very, very important things. And I think as you have a long relationship with your clients, you guys understand each other more and it's easier to implement things for them because you understand what their end goal is and you can keep looking out in their blind spots and making sure that they can stay on track to accomplish the goals that they had in their plan. As we're talking through this, I was just thinking, it's always fun to get to this part of the plan. It's always kind of exciting, right? Especially when the goals are coming out. And if you wouldn't mind sharing, what are some of the exciting takeaways you've had at this point in the planning? What's some exciting takeaways you've had with clients? I know this isn't the situation for everyone, but mm -hmm. it's really exciting when someone does get to be financially independent where, you know, they're like, I don't know if I can switch careers or pull back from my career, or have another kid, or it's fun to be able to be like, you guys, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And also with financial independence, most people aren't going to just stop working for the rest of their lives. I think mm -hmm. they just want more time freedom. It's kind of, fun to play like the kind of the what if scenarios like what if you did take a sabbatical for a year and traveled around the world with your family might not be as expensive as you think like a real world example from one of my clients is she worked straight from college never took a break never went to grad school never had she went from job to job to job but she still had a little bit of money left in her 529 that she never used she decided to take three months and do a language immersion program in bordeaux france so she went there with her fiance and she didn't have a job on the back end. And after the program ended, she ended up finding a job that was paying her more than before when she left. Just kind of having those kind of 
opens people's eyes, I think, a little bit now with like remote work and stuff. There's just so many opportunities that are out there for, I guess, like lifestyle design. Absolutely. And I think that is the part. Like we get through all these steps, you go through, you know, circumstance, goals, analyze, develop, uh, present, implement, and you get to know your clients. You really share in their goals and share in their successes and share in the drive and share in the excitement of getting ready to hit the goal. So I think that's so awesome to be able to do that. We have the ability to tell people that they can go out and live. And that's what goals are about. I do have a couple other things to mention. A lot of times we're working with couples and there might be one couple that's more of the household CFO or the commander or the one that's kind of taking the reins on everything. Just to make sure that I have buy-in, it's good to make sure that both spouses are on the same page. And that's part of the reason of just working with a financial planner is to make sure that everyone's on the same page. So if one person has been talking a lot in the meeting, I'll make sure to talk to the other spouse to say like, hey, does this make sense to you? Or what do you think of that? A lot of times I'm not the one giving recommendations. It's the client that's coming up with recommendations for themselves. And then I say, okay, well, what does the other spouse think of that? Like switching jobs or not working for a while or any of these different goals that we have in mind. A lot of times these clients haven't had these conversations with themselves. They're having it in real time and in our office. Just having that space. And if you don't have a financial planner, what my wife and I did when we first started, when we got married was we had these quarterly family meetings mm-hmm. where we'd look at our balance sheet and our finances and just kind of our, I think we had like four quadrants, financial, professional, and community. And then those were our four big buckets. And then we kind of filled them in with our goals and we'd review them together. So I guess making sure like both spouses are on board is a good thing. And then also time bounding these goals of like when they're going to get done by really helps with follow through. Like we're recording in October and it's almost Halloween. And a lot of times clients drag their feet with estate planning and Mm -hmm. they don't get their wills done, name beneficiaries, kind of playfully say like, okay, let's use the day of the dead, you know, November 1st as Mm -hmm. like the date to get the estate plan done. Just to kind of put a stake in the ground of like, okay, you can always change it later. Let's get something down. If something were to happen to you, you know what's going to happen with your kids and it's not going to be up to the state to decide who's going to be the guardians for your kids. And so like that kind of gets people like, that's a good point. I'll get it done. So using some fun deadlines can be helpful too. Nice. As we're wrapping up here, as you know, this is Minority Money Podcast where we are changing the complexion of wealth. But before we get to that, I've been asking everybody this, one or two tips, some parting gifts for people that are out there trying to get their finances together. And we're trying to get this, just two tips from you, Sean. What would you say? It could be more if you have more, but give you at least two. Comes to mind for me is knowledge is really powerful. Listening to this podcast, reading personal finance books. When I graduated from college, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about credit scores. Like they don't teach this stuff in college and high school. Everything that I learned was just really, really empowering. And that's what got me interested in this profession. The more information you can arm yourself, the better. That's primarily the one that comes to mind for me right now. Okay. Yeah. Knowledge is power. I'll add that to there because I, I know you've said this too. Applied knowledge is even more powerful, right? If they <laughs> apply the knowledge, is there anything else you want to add to it? No, I think that's about it. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. As always, Sean, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for your time. Thank you for what you do in the industry. It's always an honor and pleasure to just chat with you, man, because you got an incredible mind. As you all know, This is the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. 
be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here, and until next time.